Hi, this is Michelle Wainwright, and welcome to Creative Juicy, a podcast about the creative process, the journey to finding your voice, and tools to help creatives, aka people just like you, find inspiration, confidence, and some business savvy along the way. My career in brand and content strategy led me to collaborating with incredible creators, from photographers to directors, chefs, designers, stylists, illustrators, developers, founders, and so much more. I'm here to shine a light on the experiences of people who dare to be different, with the hopes of inspiring you to do whatever makes you feel unapologetically you. So let's get into it. This is Creative Juicy. Aaron, Mm -hmm. thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, of course, you are a photographer and director and someone I consider a very dear friend of mine. But for those listening, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about where you're from? Hi, my name is Aaron Vasquez. I'm a uh, photographer and film director from Austin, Texas. I've been doing things for, you know, a lot of rap magazines early on, and then I moved on to fashion, and then I started doing more music videos and then more commercial stuff. And now I have the um, blessing to be doing whatever I want. That's awesome. That's the dream. Yeah, that's the dream. Okay, so Aaron, you're from Austin. Um, Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and where you think your creative pursuits really started as a younger kid. I think that my family thinks that I'm like an outlier, like they don't know where my creativity came from. And I think that I started to internalize that. But I went back home recently and I realized that my mom always had a camera in her hand. You know, she was always taking photos and she had this little Kodak and I didn't even remember it until we saw some of the photos that she had had hidden away for years. Um, And I just remember always loving that she had the camera and wanting to take photos. We got a lot of Legos too, as a kid. And I think those two just kind of helped me kind of, uh, my imagination was just, just grew a lot from that. Um, I was always wanting to put stuff together. I was always wanting to uh, build things, um, make things creatively. Uh, and, And then that led to, you know, in high school, I convinced the teacher to let me make a film instead of a, instead of like an essay. So I, I like, I banded all the nerds together because <laughs> they weren't good at essays either. They were just good at math. And I was like, I got this. Just star in my film. You won't have to do an essay. We'll all get A's. Um, and I didn't know if it was going to work or not, <laughs> but it did. I mean, it was, it was, it was a terrible video but we all got a's for the effort because we read you know we read read the piece and we came up with some artistic vision of uh what we thought it was about um so that's amazing so you was it an english teacher yeah it was an english teacher mr moody mr moody yeah he was kind of a strange guy he was like very like fun and and he was like kooky but also really buttoned up which was a rare thing and i was like i can get him on board with this Let's let's do it because I also was not a great writer. I didn't want to analyze a lot of stuff. I wanted to like put it on film and make it creative. That was the first time I really felt something, and then I just never th- touched that again until you know a year before I dropped out of college. I was just kind of like that was really great. Let me never think about how fulfilling that was, <laughs> and just like never think about it. And then you know it came roaring back, and it was something I couldn't ignore. It's really cool that you realized later on that your mom always had a camera in her hand. Yeah, I don't think 
I think she doesn't know how I became a photographer, but I, I remember it being like, oh, it makes so much sense that you have all these photos of us on our in, in our lives. And I remember the kind of camera and I remember always being excited when she had it around because it meant like something special was happening. It's interesting to think back about those kinds of outlets and as simple as taking photos and how easy it is now on the phone. It's less special. It's less of a moment which of course there are pros and cons to both, but it's cool that you get to look back on that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so you go to college. You mentioned that you dropped out. What were you studying and what led you to kind of picking up a camera again? This might sound weird, but like when the iPhone came out, it really really was like having a camera that I couldn't afford. And the more I took photos, the more I realized that, oh, I think that I would want like a professional camera. So I convinced my buddy to buy one for himself because I knew he would get tired of it. <laughs> it was my roommate. And then after that, I um, you know, walked around the campus with it for a year. I was fortunate enough to be in the Longhorn Band. I went to the University of Texas and I was able to take photos from the game, intimate moments, the band practicing, being in the tunnel, you know, all of this really cool stuff. And I realized that, oh, I'm spending more time editing photos and making videos than I was studying for, you know, uh, American suburbia, you know, which was the course I was taking. <laughs> and I also tried to convince them to let me do something, something special, like something different there for the final. And, and they said, no. So, you know, win some, lose some. <laughs> and, and I was, as I was starting to like, realize that I had like a lot of this creativity, I couldn't ignore um, South by Southwest, which is like a famous music uh, festival came into town and I had a couple of friends that were in town and they let me come backstage and shoot photos. And from then it was just, um, you know, I just don't remember ever wanting to like stop taking photos, stop moving around. It's, it's nice that I can settle now, but for those first five, six years, I felt like everything was a whirlwind and I just wanted to like take photos of it. At what point did you decide it was time to move to New York? What did that process look like for you? The friends that came here, they were from New York. And I leveraged their band. Okay, so if you come and you stay with me, I come to New York, I get to stay with you, right? Uh, they said yes. So the first time I went to New York, I realized I need to leave Austin. I need to leave what I'm doing. I need to just drop everything. I need to come here because I think I had a vision for my life that I didn't really want to have. I was just kind of going along with what the society was telling me I should be going towards. And it was a great route, but I was being pulled in a way that I just really couldn't ignore on so many different fronts. So once I, you know, once I was in New York, I realized that this is the place I, you know, I wanted to be. There was so much opportunity, so much action, so much life, and so much possibility you know, for practical reasons and, 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 um, professional reasons. You know, like I liked that I didn't have to have a car. I liked that I could get on the train. You know, I liked that I would be at a place and then I would run into somebody and they would be like the editor in chief of the source. Or I would run into somebody and they were representing some, you know, somebody that needed photos taken. And then all of a sudden by the weekend, I'm, you know, I have two shoots and I was making money. That was the other part where I was just, I didn't realize that there was opportunities here to make money. And it wasn't, that wasn't a driving force, but that was able to like, that was able to feed all of the creativity. It was like, oh wow, people really want to like make things happen and they're willing to pay me for it. 
<laughs> that part was crazy to me. I've worked with and spoken with lots of different artists just through my work. And I think a lot of times what I hear is that when people started out, they almost felt a little bit shy to put forth their rates and ask for money for their work. Is that your experience as well? Did you ever do things for free? Or, you know, what was that process like for you in terms of of getting the work that can then sustain this lifestyle? It is always hard to value your work early on in the process. So you don't know what you're worth. You don't know what other people are worth. At least for me, I was hesitant to kind of compare myself to people because I didn't know. I wanted I wanted to be on their level, but I also didn't want to ask them what I considered a personal question, which was how much money are you making? Early on, there was a lot of people that were, you know, take would take advantage of, of uh, the situation and say it was for a portfolio. It was good for rates. It was a, a prop shoot. Um, and those things were all very helpful. But looking back on them now, I think I would even then just ask for a little bit of money. Like, I understand that you don't have any money, but even $200 would really help. You know, your, my time, the, your time as a creative is not worth nothing. Even if you're doing it for something, it should be with your friends or you should be getting some sort of compensation. The train ride, a lunch, maybe l- letting people know that you want an, a long-term commitment of like three months or six months or something like that. So perhaps even an intro, perhaps even an intro. Yeah. You were a huge part about how I reevaluated my rates, you know, especially on the creative side, there's no, there's a lot of like nuance and not a lot of education on how things should be budgeted and how much things cost and how much is your own time off hours cost. That took a long time to figure out. You were a big help for that. Uh, and now I feel I have more control of what I can say yes to. And I'm more understanding of what my what my work is worth. Well, good. That makes me happy. I guess going back a little bit to what you said about, you know, the appeal of New York. I, too, as you know, I'm from Texas. I'm from Houston. And I think... New York is obviously special. I don't think it's something people necessarily understand just when they visit it one time, because I think being here as a tourist is completely different than living here. But there is this energy, sounds cheesy, but the fact that you, it's so easy to run into people and meet people who you would never meet anywhere else. You know, in Texas, I always felt like I had to get in my car and I had to know where I was going. And in New York, I don't know if you feel the same way, but you don't need to have a plan and you just see where the day or the night takes you. And I feel like because so many people move to New York without knowing many people, it's this energy of, hey, you're cool. Let's go to the next bar. Or what are you doing Sunday? Or let me get your phone number. And it's just this level of interaction, which I've never felt anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you feel the same way. I do, actually. Um that's one of the things that I found like a, to be a great joy was being like, even if I'm going from A to B, right? Even if I'm going from here to, uh, let's say, Times Square, because there's some, some there's some, some offices in Times Square. I'm maybe stopping at the bodega and picking up a sandwich. And then on the way to Times Square, I may be taking some photos. I maybe like have to transfer subway line stuff like that there's there's a little bit of a journey on every time you step out of new york but even if you're going from a to b 
around the city and because you're outside and because you're interacting with it. I've never been in a city like New York. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of cities that are comparable, but not like New York. Would you say looking back now, was there one project or one moment or one person that you really consider to be a turning point for you where you realized I can, I can really do this and I'm going to do everything I can to do this. Does, does anything stand out? Yeah, there was two people, um, James Nord and Brian Mark. They're both like really dear friends of mine. Um, James is a CEO of a company called Four. We weren't very close. I had saw him, met, met him on Tumblr, and um, I just sent him a note that I was coming to the city and I'd like to buy him lunch. Um, and he's a very like extravagant man. You know, I didn't have any money, and he was just like, well, let's get another round of drinks, and we're going to want appetizers and all this stuff. I was just there to talk to him and see, like, you know, what's possible in life because he seemed like he knew what he was doing. And he gave me this big speech about how you have to go for it. And if I have any hesitation, then why not like seek out what, what those things were. And with Brian, he gave me a very good speech about how I was planning my life around plan B. And he saw that there was a plan A and that was to be in New York. And I, I was just kind of looking for things that were going to push me over the edge because leaving your hometown and your family and your, you know, religious institutions and your education was going to be really, really tough. And I just needed to kind of have like somebody here that I can lean on. And they were both very, very helpful with that. They, I was able to lean on them both like mentally, uh, creatively and um, practically, you know, they, they helped me out with a lot of jobs and they were able to put me up times when I wasn't able to help myself. So they were the, they were the big catalysts. That reminds me. Um, I remember the first, I don't even know if we met that night, but I guess the first night I knew you were a human, <laughs> it was at four, yeah. uh, which is James's agency and our company. And they do this thing called 10 four where someone comes up and gives a speech for 10 minutes about any topic of their choosing. And you got up there and correct me if I'm wrong, but you spoke about uh, Kendrick Lamar. Yes. I may, I did like a little presentation about why I thought the song, um, why I thought like what I thought was the best song on Kendrick Lamar's latest album uh, and why it connected the entire album because of this and that. Yeah. It was a great speech. <laughs> it was excellent. And I remember watching you and being in awe of just how detail oriented you were and just how in depth this whole topic was for you. Um, yeah. And so I guess that just leads me to obviously you have a passion for music and you've worked on lots of music videos before. How has music kind of fueled your creativity and what does music mean to you? Music has always been incredibly important in my life. It was a, a driving force of like what me and my brothers would do together was was like sit around the radio and listen to music. And my brother really loved watching music videos. So he would watch BET and MTV all day when they had music videos. And, you know, he was the oldest brother, so we couldn't really change the channel. So I spent a lot of my life watching music videos, you know, Missy Elliott and Puffy, Nori 
all of these uh, Maya, all of these like really great artists with really flashy videos. And we all, we also only had like three VHSs and one of them was just like a Martin Scorsese movie. So I was just like getting a lot of like visual stuff. And then as I got older and wanted to make music videos, the kind of music I wanted to help elevate was really important to me too. So I, I was always like listening to artists listening to new artists, wanting to break new artists. I mean, it's still important to me now, but it's it's much less so than it was. But for the first five years, I, I listened to music all day, every day, because I wanted to just make something really special out of it visually. And I would reach out to artists and I would reach out to people and just try to be like, hey, here's my idea. Hey, here's my vision. Um, I'd love to work with, with you. And that's how I got a lot of, of my like clients early on of just like cold calling people being like, I love your work. I've been listening to it on SoundCloud. I'd love to get together and maybe see if we can come up with something small. Well, kudos to you because that takes a lot of guts. I know that when, as I've been reaching out to people to be on this podcast, so mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think that's really important for people to hear if anyone's listening who has an idea or has a passion and, you know, you just gotta, you gotta get out there and ask people and talk to people and put yourself out there to start making it all happen. You know, it'll never just fall in your lap. So when I was in, when I was at Texas, I cold called one of my favorite uh, artists and his name was Blue. And I told him that I had family in LA and that I was always in LA. And I sent him versions, like I sent him like really bad music videos that I had made. And he was like, oh yeah, I mean, like if you can do something like this, and he sent me this reference, let me know when you're in LA and I'll, and we'll, we'll get together and work. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, this guy is like one of the greatest artists like of the era, you know? So I was on this message board and I was like, I need $500. Can anybody donate $500? I need to like make my dream come true. You know, lo and behold, like people on the message board just like sent me money. You know, it was a, it was a really like, I remember being like, wow, I can't believe this many people would do this. I like for no reason. And then I, I had like a thread on the message board that kind of like updated them what I was doing. This is when messages were, were still cool. So I totally lied about that. I flew, I flew out to LA. I stayed, oh man, I stayed at this really ratty place for a couple of days and we shot a music video there. And then I met a couple of other people that became like lifelong friends. Yeah, I just like sort of cold called, reached out, sent him some really bad examples of my work. And even then, like for some reason, things just fell into place. So that was really kind of special. How old were you? That was, and that, that was the like third music video I ever made. And I was probably 22. That's incredible because I don't know if this is just a misconception I have, but I think I assume that lots of photographers do photo work before they perhaps evolve into video work because there's something very intimate about shooting live footage of someone and making them feel comfortable in front of the camera beyond just being comfortable for a photo. So the fact mm -hmm. that you kind of out the gate were doing this video work, I mean, what was that like? Was it, how do you make people feel comfortable in that way? Because it is a very intimate relationship between the subject and the person behind the camera. Ooh, the comfortable thing still, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of experience because I was nervous. I almost feel nervous every shoot I go into, but I also know that like nothing's going to move unless I push it. So I'll just like lightly be like, Hey, like, all right, how are we doing? Let's try this. Let's try this. Um, 
you know, and then if there's some pushback, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, you, you kind of understand after a while where people's boundaries are in terms of what they want to give that day. You have the confidence knowing that you're there because they want to make something and they want to sell something. And what they're selling is their art and their vision and their persona and their characteristics. And it's your job to be like, okay, look, we gotta, we gotta really like upsell this, you know, we gotta like really um, put a lot of sauce on this because if you're doing this music video, the concept needs to re- be really great if you're just going to be standing there. You need to have a lot of personality. So that's why you have a lot of confidence to be like, okay, you want to push them more because it's it's important for them to show as much personality as possible. That's where I found more confidence of being like, oh, we're, it's not like I'm here doing a documentary and I don't want to disrupt anything. We're here because we want to be as ambitious and as like, in some cases, audacious and ostentatious, oh my God, as possible. I'll stop. (laughs) (laughs) How does it work when you're shooting a music video? For example, do you have a stereo playing the song? Like, do you have speakers playing the song? Or is it more so, okay, you do. It's actually playing, and then you just do it all in post-production with the actual track. Yeah, we do it in post, um, but we always have, uh, the song is just on repeat all day. That's another reason why it's important to, to do work with people who you like make good music. Because you're going to be listening to that song all day. There were some sets that I was on where I was like, oh, this song is just so bad. But there's shit jobs. You know, you're not you're not always going to be doing like the greatest work. But those projects hopefully sustain you to the stuff you do want to get to the artists you do want to focus on and to the, to the music you help you do want to help elevate. What does a good shoot day look like to you? Are there certain factors that you think work together? It also might be hard to describe, but what is that for you? A good shoot day is a shoot day that is organized and communicated. Mm. Like those are the two things that more than anything, like you, every, does everyone know where they need to be and what time it is? And has all that been communicated to everybody? Those are the two mainstays and everything else, um, kind of varies off for for a lot of different people because you know your locations might change and, and and the energy might change like you may be doing something for an r&b artist and then do something for uh someone who's on just an acoustic guitar mm. that's going to be very different but if everyone knows where they are all the equipment is set up and um everyone is communi- knows what they have to do that's you know that's a perfect to me that's like the start of a perfect shoot you don't have to panic because things are up in the air. Yeah. So I know you've worked a lot with menswear designer Tom Brown for years, if I'm not mistaken. I guess just tell us how that relationship formed and how the projects have evolved over time. So I met Matthew, um, who works at Tom Brown, and he brought me in early. And it started early with fashion shows. I was very lucky to be one of the few people that got to take photos backstage. All of his shows were very magical, very high concept. You know, it was it was like looking into a dream world and every dream you walked into was very different. So he had this entire room that was made of mirrors and uh, the, the there was tables on there that were made of mirrors and there was chairs on there that were made of mirrors and all of the models were just like lined up on the wall and it was beautiful. And then there was one where it was like a snowy day in Paris. Um, And it was very inspiring to just always know that when you went to a Tom Brown shoot or when you went to a Tom Brown show, 
um, you were going to be blown away. You know, he was not coming to mess around. His menswear stuff is, it is quite, it's very technical, but it isn't super flashy. That mm-hmm. his shows and his style and his creativity was. And I was lucky enough to help capture it and help document it. Um, we, we started doing more visual stuff for them. And that was great because I got to help be part of that creative process. And, you know, he's such a like legendary creative person that I just felt honored to just be called over and over again to help him help it come to life. It's, it's been great to see. And, you know, when LeBron's wearing it at the NBA finals and I'm like, wow, Tom, you did it. You did it, baby. (laughs) That's so cool. That also reminds me. So, I mean, of course there are situations where someone has a fashion show or an event and they kind of concept it separately on their own or with their experiential team or whoever it may be. And you come in and you have to put your own creative spin on it. But then I'm sure there are a ton of projects where clients are looking to you for your creative ideas and your concepts. Do you have one that you prefer more than the other? Where do you start in terms of concepting for clients? I think I would say that I prefer when the client has the vision especially when it is somebody like Tom Brown, because it's so uh, it's so precise and so thought out. There are times where a client will come to you and they don't know what they want and they kind of want you to, to lead them. You, you're going to have to lead them down every corner because they their vision is imprecise. When I get brought in with somebody that has the vision, it's easy to then kind of lock in to what their vision is and help them then capture it in a creative way. When you're starting to do that for a client and they don't know what it looks like, you want to put your best foot forward, your best strengths forward, and then see how they react to that. So, for example, let's say there's a, a, a brand, a fizzy water brand. What you want to do, and they don't know what to do, what you want to do is just kind of present them with one step this way and see if that works. And if not, at least this was my process, and if not, then kind of figure out, you know, what, what kind of, what do, what do they want to communicate? Like, who do they want to sell this to? Like, do they want this to be artistic? Do they want this to be more like e-commerce? There's a lot of like questions that I think need to be asked to the client so that you can help create more of a, a, a good creative landscape for yourself to build on instead of, you know, them be like, Oh, well, we love what you do. We just want you to do something like that. I've seen some of your client presentations, and I think it might be helpful for people to know just a little bit more concretely, you know, how do you present ideas to clients? Is it a phone call? Do you send a presentation? Do you set up a video chat where you take them through? Like, how do you sell something in? The process is a long dance. You know, you you can't just give somebody a presentation. You have to make sure that they, you know, that they're interested. So... It's, it has to be very friendly, too, because you, what you're talking to is a person. You're not talking to, like, corporation. You kind of reach out and be like, you guys have been doing really good work, not necessarily asking for anything, and then building the relationship from there. I thought your work was really good. I wanted to share some of my work, see what you thought about it. From then on, you can begin to say, okay, how about we work on something together? It'll be real small, low stakes, what do you think about if I put it together a pitch? Would you want, would you be interested in seeing that? They're not just like cold called. You're, you're, you've sort of buttered them up a little bit and you kind of know what it is that they're looking for. So then 
yes, that's when the presentation comes in. You kind you kind of have a re- have to have a really good idea. Um, sometimes I like to position the the project as something really exciting, or something that is um, going to plug a hole into what I perceive to be a problem. For example, there's there was like this fashion chain that I pitched that they needed to bolster their YouTube by making small, inexpensive videos featuring you know emerging artists in their clothes. And it wouldn't cost as much as their big productions, but what it would do is it would begin to get their YouTube more recognized because they had a big Instagram, they had a big Facebook, they had a big Twitter, they had a big everything else, but their YouTube was low. So I saw that and I was like, oh, this, this is a good idea to pitch to them for that. Or there's a um, another brand that this brand is a very stiff brand. So I would then come in and ask them if they were willing to go a little bit more wild and then present almost too wild so that we can find like a middle, a middle point. But there does need to be strategy in who you're selling on the presentation side. You have to pursue the work you want. Yeah, you have to pursue the work you want. And that means like being a good information gatherer because all that information goes right into that pitch. Right. From my background, being on the agency side of things and representing the client, my favorite moments in my agency life were when I could work with and outreach to collaborators to see their vision for what we were working on. You know, I would always have some sort of brief or some sort of goal or some sort of at its most basic level, this is the product and we need to sell it around this occasion. But then really giving the partner I'm working with creative freedom in at least if if we don't get buy in from the client, that's one thing, but at least a way to present ideas and then we can always scale back. Yes, because, you know, you might have a nugget of an idea that can then be expressed in a million different ways. But if they like the concept itself or that initial nugget, you can then tailor it based on any guardrails the client has, anything they're sensitive to, and you can kind of make it work. But that's much easier said than done. Much easier said than done. Yeah, because clients can be very difficult. What work do you do for yourself that isn't necessarily for a job? That is a great question. That was a great segue too. I still try to keep an aspect of photography mine. I still want to like protect the walking around the city, capturing things as I see them. We go on these big walks and I, I always want to make sure that I keep that side of it. But I've started writing more. There's like a big project that I don't, I don't want to announce right now yet. No pressure. Um, but there's a... <laughs> But there's a, yeah, there's a big project that I've been working on that I'm putting all of my creative juices into that. And that's been really helpful with the commercial stuff. Instead of these little buckets that I would put all of my creative juices into, it's nice to focus on a bigger project that I can see has a lot of movement, you know, having steps, having goals, and then meeting those goals on your personal project is very empowering. You have another outlet and you're, it is still like, you're still honing your skills, even on the commercial stuff. All that kind of communication is going to come into the personal work too. So all of your knives are sharpened and your mind is sharp. With this project, it's been really um, enjoyable to do both. It's a lot of fun. Cool. COVID hits, you're in your East Village apartment. You really stuck it out there for all of it, I believe. Two years. As an artist, how did you stay inspired or not? 
And how did you get work? I mean, it kind of changed the game a little bit. How did you adapt? It was pretty scary at first. But as things began to settle, you would see how grass grows through concrete. That's how I felt like New York artists were. I was fortunate enough to have a built-in studio. I built We built in a studio into our apartment. Um, this was pre-COVID. And instead of running a big studio, I would just offer these little services. It's a seamless, you know, it was easy. But when the pandemic hit, it became much more essential because I'd have a studio already ready to go. That helped me survive on a number of things. I would say you also have a very photogenic apartment in and of itself, even, you know, pull the seamless back. And did you use your apartment for sets? And how did that work? Yeah, so I'm here often. Even before the pandemic, we always wanted to make sure that our home just felt like very beautiful, very comfortable. Uh, Whenever we're here, we can be here and it would be a great time because we wanted to have a place where we can enjoy ourselves. So when the pandemic hit, we had a lot of things here that were able to be good backdrops for photos. We had a lot of like these trinkets that are really good when you want to add life to a product photography. So we were lucky to just have done a lot of work on ourselves before the pandemic hit, including the seamless, so that when it all went down, we were very lucky to then have things we could pair off and things we could group together. And now all of a sudden, it's, it's a beautiful photograph. Like even now, I have this little thing right here. And it's like, oh, isn't that little, isn't that beautiful? It's just a little vase full of daisies right next to me. I mean, the light, everything. Your apartment's great. Oh, thank you. And you can hear the church bells. You can hear the church bells. What, one of the things we did was we made like a, we got really into AD, uh, the open house thing, and we made like our own parody version. I don't know how many thousands of views it got on Grace's Instagram, but it's hilarious. I, of course, I mean, I don't have the actual skills of someone like you or a photographer. I don't have those. I have a good eye, but I can't actually make the stuff. But uh, for me in COVID, I... I mean, I was in Texas with my family for four months and really didn't leave the house. It was a little bubble. And I honestly, I felt so inspired in that time. I always, I mean, I was a journalism major to begin with. I loved creative writing and I found myself writing again, which I hadn't done in years. Obviously, New York is inspiring and there's so much going on and so much to see and smell. Definitely smell. And (laughs) (laughs) definitely there's something about being stuck in one place that at least for me, I really. So you didn't feel disconnected. No, you you felt honed. Yeah. And it also for me, I mean, I I'm from Texas, but I don't have any family in the United States beyond my parents and my brother. And it was the first time my family, everyone was going through the exact same thing. Everyone. Everyone. And, you know, our lives are so different. We've never had such a shared experience. No one has. I mean, it's what this pandemic is. But I just, I really loved it. (laughs) I'm lucky. I'm privileged and, you know, very, very lucky to be able to say that. But, um, and to be able to work from home. It felt like one of the, like, this was the one thing that felt on an individual level, it affected you. And then on a global level, it affected everybody. Mm -hmm. So it kind of felt like, you know, when you're like, get, well, I don't know if you felt this. (laughs) Whenever you get like dumped, 
you're like, oh, why does this always happen to me? Like, you know, like you've like no one has felt like this badly when they've been dumped. It just felt like, why is this happening to me? So that was like a very rare thing where it felt so individual and so global, the hurt we were all feeling. So I know you worked with MTV during Black Lives Matter. Mm hmm. How were you introduced to them? And I mean, what was the project? I was introduced to them through a friend of mine, Josh, uh, Josh Edwards. He was a former employee there. I just really liked his work on Twitter. We built a relationship through there. He saw all of my fashion work and was like, hey, why don't we meet each other at this fashion show and do some work? And we had a really, really good relationship for several years. You know, I got to see and help document some of the coolest stuff. And I was very grateful for him. And then, you know, the... George Floyd murder happens and it was something that you really couldn't ignore uh, in terms of like being in New York City. You There was a very strong um, sense of community around that time of being like, we need to go out and we need to like send a message. You know, there was a lot of stuff that was happening with the NYPD and stuff here where we felt very similar about the police and the overreach. So I wanted to be there as a person that was not there to document it. I wanted to be there as a person that was marching in it. Mm. I wanted to be like, you know, a person that had some stakes in there and was, was there to, to be part of the movement. It still felt very dangerous at the time to be out, but it was also like something I felt like I had to participate in. Uh, and when he reached out to me to say that they wanted to feature my photos in MTV, I was super honored because, you know, this is, a platform, uh, you know, a company that has raised and uplifted so many like black artists and black voices. Uh, and to have like my photos featured on such a critical time about a critical issue that was a global issue. Um, I felt very honored. There would be this character that was there to take photos. You know, when I was in the marches, I felt kind of irked by that because there's some photojournalism that has to happen, I understand, but I wanted to be there as part of the movement. And um, that's what I wanted to capture somebody that was there that was in the wave. And that's what I wanted the photos to feel like, you, you know, you were there, you were marching, you were talking to the people, you were reading their signs. It, it wasn't all negative. It was all, it was so much, so much of it was positive. So much of it was like uplifting. And that's what I felt like my photos were about. It's just like a lot of the positivity that were there, a lot of community that were there. But it was one of the most like energetic moments of my life. I feel like, I mean, I have goosebumps when you said that. I feel like despite how terrible certain experiences and the world can be in those moments of despair, it also really brings people together. Yeah. When I saw the marches happening, I was in Texas and I, I was seeing what you were doing and all of my friends in New York. And that was one of the reasons I really wanted to come back to New York was to be a part of it. And I think obviously, as you mentioned, photojournalism, you need to capture moments, but I think it's so important to capture it from the lens of a participant mm -hmm. because that feels different being a part of it than it does being a third party observer, if you will. Yeah. And how cool that he came to you for work you just did for your own self. I mean, you captured it to remember the moment and then, you know, people respond to that. So I loved what you and other friends of mine in New York were doing then. So, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of people that were taking really great photos of the March 
And one more, th- like, I want to say one more thing that um, there was a lot of stuff about New York burning down and stuff like that. Basically, every place that had every store that in Soho had been boarded up and they, they would board up every now and then when there was something that would would start rumbling. Artists would come and they would turn these things into beautiful murals. So you would just see all of these murals pop up in Soho and you know that they're going to come down. But it was always really fun to just walk around and see what all of these artists had turned basically like wooden canvases into. I remember really thinking that it was like a reclamation. I still need to finish this book. I'm reading this book called Life Happens in the Transitions. And there's a chapter that's basically examples of how in hard times, people turn to creativity. This isn't just for artists or creators. This is just anyone turns to doing something with their hands or expressing themselves in a creative way that they perhaps hadn't before. And so, I mean, New York is creative in general all the time, but especially in a moment like that, seeing people come out and showcase that and express themselves must have been really cool. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Have you ever dealt with negative comments or doubts from others or yourself even in regards to your work. Oof. <laughs> oh man, all the time. <laughs> you know, doubts from yourself, that's that's going to just be that's always there. You know that that's always there. You have to you have to figure out a way to deal with that with yourself. So I grew up really religious um and you know, I just learned that or I taught was taught that you know, you're praying openly what the things you want or the problems you have and stuff like that. Um, I found that later in life that was actually kind of beneficial because I was like sort of saying my problems out loud. I was stating my problems and then I was stating how I wanted them to be resolved. And as I got older, I sort of kept that in myself where I was no longer praying to anybody, but I was having this conversation with myself from where I I was like, well, I have these doubts. I have these problems. You know, how do I go about resolving them? I feel like not that many people are like so supremely confident that they don't have doubts even in the back of their minds about things that are subjective, like the creative process or like creative results. And in terms of doubts from others. I feel like you surround yourself with good people, but that's never to say like you can always be on the receiving end of negativity. I would say that I'm very sensitive to critiques from others. Even still, the critiques are information. Like a lot of times I'll put you know my whole heart into the first draft And then I get like notes back, oh, this isn't what we were thinking. And I get really devastated. But I have to remember that like a lot of this has always been like, this is not my project. This is their project. I'm helping them with it. So the doubts aren't about me. They're about how the process is going currently or the direction it's moving. Doubts from others, I was kind of blessed to not really receive much. I mean, my parents had a problem with me moving uh, from Austin to New York, but since then, they've just kind of been happy that I've been living well and I've been having a good creative life. I think the biggest problem with me was my own self-doubt on a lot of these things because I didn't go to a film school. I didn't go to photography classes, you know, so I showed up to a lot of these places feeling like a phony, even though most of the time they weren't even paying me early on. I felt like a phony. I felt like I had to overachieve in order to prove my status as, as somebody that was you know, sort of uneducated in this world. A lot of that came early. And the more I met with other creatives and other people within agencies, I realized that it's a fluid process. Like 
there's going to be jobs that come and jobs that go. But if you want to live this creative life, there's going to be just like little sands of time. And eventually you'll have a mountain. But every little project is a little grain of sand. Some can be bigger, some can be smaller. So some people write their problems down, like on a journal, so that they can see it. I, because of my upbringing, voice them out loud to myself so that I can just like hear it. And if I hear it, I'm like, okay, what are we going to do about this? (laughs) Well, there's power in addressing it. Yeah. Whether it's writing it down or saying it out loud, kind of moving it from a feeling or a thought and putting it outside of your body in whatever format, there's power to that. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, you're completely self-taught. Yes, completely self-taught. That's amazing. Yes. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> well, I have to say thank you to like the thousands of YouTubers out there that are like, you know, and to the, like the Flickr community and to the Tumblr community because, you know, that, I, lot of, I learned a lot on the school of Tumblr and Flickr and YouTube, just like little things I needed every now and then. I would just, that's where I would learn, but completely self-taught other than that. <laughs> what advice would you give someone who is trying to teach them how to do something? Is there any tidbits you would say? If you can get a camera, follow people you like, and then just kind of write down the things you like about them as you're like scrolling. So when I was on Flickr, I would have these people into buckets of being like, I really like how they use space. So I put them, I put these photos in my favorite spaces folder. I put these photos in my favorite portraits folder, black and white style, coloring, like all of these things. I didn't know how to um, cultivate taste. I just knew I liked stuff. I think the first thing to do is to pick up a camera. And then the second thing to do is figure out what it is you like. And then can you go out and do it? It's not going to be good if you do once you do it at first, but Again, the point is not to be a mountain. The point is to just like put little sand every day. I think that a lot of people get caught up that it isn't great right away. And they don't realize how long of a process it is. Seeing a photo in life as it's happening and then being able to be like, bang, I know exactly what ISO, exactly what frame rate, exactly what aperture. Because this moment is gone in a half second. Bang. That takes a lot of time a lot of dead ends if you care about it you're gonna you're gonna have to be okay with some dead ends and some l's that's part of life that's part of life and you'll be okay i've caught in so many l's don't put too much pressure on yourself yeah no don't put too much pressure on yourself at first yeah i have five final questions okay kind of rapid fire we may have already addressed some of these but would love to know your answer regardless sure so question number one What drives you to create? Why do you do what you do? It gives me purpose and it gives me, it's a fulfilling life when I create with artists and with people from all walks of life. It's very fulfilling. This one is fill in the blank. Feeling inspired feels like. Oh, feeling inspired feels like, like wind in your sails. It's just like, you are off and it's, it feels great. It feels like a wind. It's so good. Where do you go physically or mentally to get your creative juices flowing? How do you overcome creative blocks? Changing your location. Like it, I think it really matters when you're creating to just kind of find a different place to do something. So maybe a cafe, maybe the library, 
maybe a park, and maybe even going to those places to do something that isn't necessarily work, but isn't not work. So going to the park and reading a book, uh, that is not like writing, but it, it will do something to just sort of be like, all right, let me let me walk in this world that somebody has created. And then I'll, when we get back to my project, it'll get me going. Or even doing work there, I find a lot of enjoyment of just watching people creating stories. Um, so I think location change. If you could tell your, your younger self one thing or one piece of advice, what would you say? Oh, buy stock in Apple. <laughs> but other than that, keep it going. Okay. <laughs> You're doing answer. great. Is there anything that's coming up that's keeping you motivated and feeling inspired? Yes. Um, I've taken creative writing classes. I started taking creative writing classes during the pandemic and they were very inspiring. And so I've been doing a lot of writing and that's as, you know, that's as much as I'd like to say right now. About it. I respect that, but I also can't wait to see. Oh, you'll be in the know. Okay. Before we go, where can people go to follow you and keep up with your work? Uh, you can follow me on Aaron is not cool across all platforms, including Venmo. Um, <laughs> I, I'm on TikTok, but not not really. I'm not. I wouldn't really say I'm really on TikTok. So like, Aaron is not cool on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I really love Twitter a lot. So. Mm. And you are also very cool. So. Oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> Aaron is cool as always taken. So. Yeah. Fortunately. Yeah, I get it. Um, well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I feel very honored to be your first guest. I feel so honored to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Creative Juicy. If you like what you heard, it would mean so much if you can take a minute to rate and review the show. Be sure to hit subscribe to stay updated on new episodes and follow me at Mish, M-I-C-H, underscore Wainwright on Instagram for more podcast updates. You can also find show notes and a transcript for today's episode at creativejuicypodcast.com. Hope you have a good one. Bye.